Amen. Well, last week we started a new series, so grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 2. The new series is The Life of Moses. It is called Moses, A Story of Doubt and Deliverance. The question we're asking today is, how do we find God's plan for our lives? Moses lived a legendary life. Uh, How did he discover what God had for him? He would go on to live one of the most memorable and recognizable lives of of all history. And and how did he learn of God's plan? And therefore, how can we learn of God's plan? When I think about just how amazing Moses' life was, I start listing the things that, that happened. Think about it. He parted a sea. He turned water into blood. Uh, With his staff, he commanded swarming locusts. I'd like that ability because I've got some insects misbehaving in my backyard in my garden. Would like to be able to command them with a staff, but I can't. Moses made it rain, hail, thunder, and fire on the land of Egypt. His staff turned into a snake and then back into a staff. Wow. Uh, He was on a mountain when God caused his glory to pass before Moses so that he saw the trail of God's holy presence. Moses' skin glowed after he sat in the presence of the Lord long enough, and he was able to write the first five books of the Bible. I just hear all of that, and I'm thinking, his life is amazing. I just keep saying, wow, 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 what a life. So how can we learn from Moses' life How can we learn specifically about God's plan for our lives? Um, We're going to reflect on Moses' birth and upbringing today, and then that will lead into a reflection next week on the crisis decision Moses had to make uh, when he left Egypt. But as we reflect on Moses' birth today, the question is this, why, why are we here? Why are you here? What is the purpose God has for you and your life? Is there a meaning? Is there a reason? Or is it all just random, meaningless chance? Is there a greater plan? If so, how can I know that I'm on it? Uh, Three big questions we're going to answer today. Uh, Three big questions everyone must answer are going to help us find God's meaning for our lives. Let's pray, and then we'll learn what these questions are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing story you wrote in Moses' life. Uh, And we're asking the question, why are we here? What is our purpose and what are you doing in our day? Help us to find answers to these questions as we look at the life of Moses. And we pray a blessing upon each person in the room here through your word as we know you are present, speaking in power, and moving. Jesus, you are alive. And we ask that you would move in this room and that you would work out your will and your plan. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1? A little history for you. Uh, Some some things have already happened that I'm going to summarize because we're actually going to start in chapter 2. But Exodus, what's already happened is we are now in about 1500 B.C. We just traveled through time. Pretty cool, huh? Here we are, uh, 1500 B.C. The pyramids are being built. Can you see them off on the horizon? God has been faithful to his servant Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would give him offspring as numerous as the sand of the sea. And God promised that to a 99-year-old guy who had no kids with his wife yet. All right? This was last week. God has been faithful because now in Egypt, there are over a million Israelites 
And so God was faithful, but here they are, they're in slavery. The Egyptians grew afraid, paranoid, and because these foreigners, there's a baby boom, there were so many of them, the Egyptians got afraid that the Israelites were going to rise up, join with the enemies, and overthrow Egypt. Uh, keep this in mind as we go through the story of Moses. Keep in mind that it was Pharaoh's fear of being destroyed that signed his own death sentence. All right? His fear of being destroyed by the Israelites ultimately led to his destruction by the Israelites. He had no faith. Uh, and so here we are, 1500 BC, and Moses is born during a baby boom time. The Pharaoh had started to try and control this population in chapter 1. He first worked through the midwives and said, hey, hey, if a boy is born, I want you to end that before it starts. And the, the, the midwives would not do that. So Pharaoh had to take more drastic action. He finally came out with a public edict saying, any male children born to the Hebrews are to be thrown into the Nile. What a time for Moses to be born. Uh, least likely stage in history for a legendary man's life to begin. He was a dead man at birth. Uh, federal edict. He would be thrown into the Nile and gone forever. Now you might be wondering, what does this have to do with me? 1500 BC, angry Pharaoh, uh, you know, Jewish immigrants, like what does that have to do with me? All right, here's the thing. Jesus would come from the Israelites to save you. So when Pharaoh says, throw all the boys into the sea, what is he doing? He's, he's killing the family tree of Jesus and therefore bolting the door of heaven for you. No Jesus, no heaven for any of us. All right? So, so I don't mean to be so dramatic here, but your salvation is at stake in how this story ends. All right? Are you following me? If Pharaoh succeeds, none of us will get into heaven because there would never be a Jesus. Those are the stakes. Here we are in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took uh, for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And it, his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Now this is like tension right now. What's going to happen? Here is such a horrendous sight of a mother who just had a newborn son. And she tried her best to hide him for three months. Uh, and, and then the day came when she had to go down to the river. And, and a mother had to put her own child to death. This is atrocious. She did what she could. She put him in a basket, technically following the order of the Pharaoh. And we know that this edict was new because Moses had an older brother, an older sister, and so they made it. And so this was a newer edict. We know it didn't last long because there were plenty of people who were born after Moses. So it was just worst possible timing. And yet, she did it. The first question that we're going to unpack here as we reflect on Moses' birth, you can jot this down, is why am I here? Uh, why am I here? Moses was born, and he was born in the day he was born to the mother he was born in the place he was born. And there's two ways you can phrase this question. Why am uh, I here? Well, why am I here? And the other way you can phrase that is why am I here? 
Why am, why am I here in this family with these siblings, to these parents? Why am I here in this country, in this body? Why am I here? Are you feeling me? What, Lord, why did you put me where you put me when you put me there? And Moses is floating in a basket about to die. Why am I here? The question of how we got here and why we got here is the question of origin. Have you asked God this question? Have you asked God this question? God, why am I here? Because it seems so impossible that Moses even lived, let alone finding a divine plan for his life. How did he even get here, let alone grow up safely? Why, why am I here? Um, we have to understand that your life may seem random. How you got here may seem random, unplanned, unpredictable, uh, but it was God who brought you into this world. Think back to your own birth story, your own origin. I don't know if your parents were happy or sad when they found out they were pregnant with you. Maybe it's like, we're going to have a baby, or maybe it's like, we're going to have another baby. <sighs> maybe you were surprised, maybe you weren't, but um, God ultimately is the reason you were born. You have to understand that you are here because God wanted you to be here. Otherwise, you just will seem so random and, and, and like there isn't a purpose how we got here. When I think back to my own birth story, I know that uh, I came uh, from uh, two great-grandparents. I've got a picture there of here, me with my great-grandpa Arva. There he is with baby Ryan on his lap driving the tractor. I left a little moment there for an awe. <laughs> and then look at those rainbow suspenders and the cute little shoes and the striped socks. You just want to pinch my big old cheeks? Do you see them there? I, yeah, that's good. There, I look at my own origin pictures and I think to myself that it's actually pretty statistically impossible that I even entered this world, all right? For a few reasons. First of all, show the next picture, just... You know, when it comes to, like, how anybody's born, there's my great-grandpa Arva and my great-grandma Marie, and at some point in the past, they decided to get married. What if Grandma Marie said no? You know? And then at some point, they decided to start a family. What if they didn't want kids? And then at some point, you know, uh, they decided, I don't know, great-grandpa decided he was going to wink, and great-grandma, if she was in the wrong mood that day, guess what? No family tree for me. Like, how random is it that our family tree started when it started, given just how many descendants there are in the tree? And check out this next picture. So here's my grandpa Ernie, good-looking fella. And my, my grandpa Ernie fought in World War II, and he was in the Battle of the Bulge. Germans surprised us, and so full retreat, he was running away from the Germans. And uh, he fell into a foxhole, and then, uh, and then a bomb went off and blew a cow over the top of the foxhole, and he was trapped. He was stuck under a cow in a foxhole, and the Germans were coming. And, and then a friend came back and rescued him out of there. But I hear stories like that, and I think, my whole life was stuck under a cow in a foxhole during World War II. And if Grandpa didn't get out, no me. All right? Do you see what I'm saying when you look back to your birth story, and you say, it is so, like, statistically impossible that we're even here. Wow. And are we going to, like, believe that it was just chance? 
Or was God intending for us to get here? The answer is God intended for us to be born. Moses' life looks so random, but it was divinely intended. Why am I here? How did I get here? In Jeremiah 1.5, it says this. This is speaking to Jeremiah, obviously. God says, before I formed you, who formed him? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Did you hear that? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before your parents ever started planning the family, uh, God knew you, could tell people about you. That blows my mind. But even beyond that, it gives me a settled understanding that I am here because God made me to be here. I'm not a random chance occurrence who just so happened to be lucky. God knew me before I was born. Jot this down. God has a plan for your past. God has a plan for your past. There's a baby floating in the reeds in the Nile, and God knew that child before he was made, and God had a plan for that child. We have a lot in common with Moses. We were both, we were all, born into a broken and sinful world. There's evidence all around us that the world is not the way it should be. And we were born into a sinful world. Our parents didn't walk us down to a river and shove us off, but there's plenty of evidence in our past that the world is broken. We were born into a messed up world, and we've got scars from that. But the good news is God has a plan for your past. God wrote your beginning, your birth, your parents, your siblings, your family, your upbringing, your neighborhood. He wrote the story, which immediately I know what you're thinking. Well, there's some things in that story I wish weren't in that story. Welcome to earth. God's going to allow some painful things to mark your past. But if you know he has a purpose for it all, then you can ask him, Why am I here? And what is your plan? In Psalm 139, 16 to 17, it says this of the Lord, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Wow, what an astonishing reflection of the fact that God saw you before you were born and all your days were in his book before you even lived one of them. Your life is planned by God. That is reassuring. We're not just floating along in the darkness. We're not just these random accidents or these fickle occurrences or subject to the whims of people around us. We were divinely intended to serve his purpose. That man, when you get that, That fills your life with so much more than just laundry and making food and going to work and clocking in. There's so much more to you than that. But have you even asked God the question, why am I here? Have you even stopped to look back and say, what is God's plan for my past? How you got here might seem random, but your life is part of God's grand story. God made you. And he has a plan for you. And we see here in the life of Moses that some great God stories have traumatic beginnings. 
Here Moses would become a legend, and yet he's just sitting there, so defenseless. Well, the first question, if you want to know God's plan for your life, the first question to ask is, God, why am I here? And then you'll realize he has a plan for your past, your birth, the reason you're here. Then the second question is this, jot this down, how should I live? Okay, I'm here because you want me to be here, but then how should I live? This is the question of morality. And Moses' life illustrates that we have a choice to make. Will we live for God's, uh, by God's plan or will we not? Check out verse 5. It goes on to say this. So Moses is just floating in a basket. His sister's watching. Mom can't bear it. She's home crying. It says in verse 5, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Archaeologists have actually uh, discovered a baby picture of Moses in, in the tri- in, in Do you want to see it? For real, here it is. This is a baby picture of Moses. You can go put that up there. There it is. It's in a museum. Are you, are you getting the story here? princess is down by the river with her girls and and they all find a basket and they open it up and see that and and they just can't bear to see it we kind of see here that her dad's edict was probably pretty unpopular didn't last long came out of nowhere and even the princess wasn't on board with it all right the bible doesn't record the conversation between the princess and the pharaoh but, but I think we can reconstruct it based on a few things. First of all, she's a princess. All right? So here's a picture of princesses. Do you know all these famous princesses? There you go. She's one of those. Okay? She's one of those. Uh, and, and, and then she goes into dad's presence with a baby and says, I'm keeping it. And dad says, no, you're not. And she says, yes. Have you had these conversations with your children? Look what I found. I'm keeping it, right? I found a frog. I found a snail. I found a worm. I found a snake. Can I, can I what? Can I, can I keep it? All right, she's got a baby, and she's there with all of her princess friends, and dad's like, no, you're not keeping it. She's like, yes, I am. And then he's like, I said no, and she's like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> okay, I would imagine there was a lot of family drama because she's keeping a child, a foreign child. It's supposed to be dead. Uh, this is not in the Bible, but I'm elaborating on it, okay, how she kept the child. Why she kept the child? There's, there's a lot of guesses, theories. They believe that uh, God's lived in the Nile. One of the, the Nile God was one of the biggest, so maybe she thought the Nile God gave her this child, a God-given child. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, maybe. I think there was a number of factors, but what the Bible does draw our attention to is, is simply her, her reflex of pity. She, she felt bad for the child. I think it was just simply the, the mother's maternal instinct to care for a child in need. And, and she went back, and, Dad, this is not going to stop. I'm keeping this baby. Fine, keep it. Shortly after that, the edict was gone. So this is amazing to think about it, uh, what happened here. But the Pharaoh's daughter defied her, and therefore God set it up where the Pharaoh, who was trying to prevent Egypt from being destroyed by the Israelites, ended up raising the one who would destroy him. Is our God awesome? And, and paying 
for it. The, the princess here going on says, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. See, so she knew. Then it says in verse 7, then his, Moses' his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And uh, right place, right time, smart, smart older sister, right? I know if you have an older sister, sometimes you're like bothered by the fact that she wants to run your life for you. All right, but older sister shined in this moment for, for baby brother Moses. So thank your older sister today based on what you've heard. Nobody said amen. That's really funny. <laughs> so the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the mother. Mom, 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 what? Princess found Moses. And what? She wants somebody to nurse him. Come on, come on, what? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, this is mom, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. Ha! I'll pay you to nurse your own baby. Doesn't sound like she knew this was actually the real mom, right? And so, so this is really funny. Pharaoh's household is now paying for the rearing of the man who would overthrow the whole country. God is pretty awesome. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, so she had some time with him, but then she had to give him up once. Now she had to do it again. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter when he was, I don't know, two, three, I don't know. And, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him up out of the water. Just kind of what the name sounds like. What's it like for your baby? You got to let it go once. And then, oh, he's, he's alive and I'm getting paid by the palace to nurse him. And then I got to let him go again. What faith Moses' mom had to display. And Moses was raised in the palace but her baby was named by another woman, raised by another woman, but she knew it was the only way he could live. What a story. Because of this, Moses was born between two worlds. And we're supposed to see the symbolism here. The question, how should I live, is vividly displayed by Moses' double life. He was born into the kingdom of God's people. So many promises had been made to those people, but then he had to be given up to an earthly kingdom where he was raised royalty. And there, there are some scholars who suspect that the princess was raising him to become the king, right? We don't know, but he, but he had the opportunity for power and money and fortune and ease and comfort. And Moses had to pick, and you have to pick. Will it be God's kingdom or will it be man's kingdom that you stay with? How should I live is a question Moses' life acts out. Uh, jot this down. God has a plan for your life. You can fill that in. God has a plan for your life. Uh, not only your birth and your past and your upbringing, but your life. And he has a will for every area of your life. Uh, he has a will. He has a will for you as a parent. He has a will for you as a spouse. He has a will for you as a student. His plan applies to every single area of your life. And if you just assume that, oh yeah, I'm following God's plan without any effort to get to understand what his word says, you may be off of his plan in many areas of your life. The Bible says we're supposed to seek wisdom like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, meaning it's very easy to miss God's plan for your life. Why am I here? Have you asked God that question and his plan for your past? How should I live? Are you asking God right now his plan for your life? 
Uh, like Moses, you're being raised in two worlds, and you can either get on God's program or you can stay off of God's program and chase after the pleasures of this life. There are many different answers to the question of meaning, why am I here, and morality, how should I live? Um, But there are some famous, prominent atheists in the world today who offer a totally different perspective. In the atheistic view, there is no God. There is no creator. And when you believe there is no creator, then there's no moral code you have to live by, and there's no meaning to your life. You came from nothing, by nothing, and you're going back to nothing. There's no reason. No reason. Richard Dawkins, one of the most prominent atheists, said this, There is, at bottom, no design. No purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pointless indifference. We are machines for propagating DNA. It's every living object's sole reason for being. See how he takes no creator and then moves, because there's no creator, no design, there's no point and there's no rules. And all you are is a DNA factory, right? Which is not what the princess said when she found the baby. She didn't say, behold, a DNA replication factory floating in a basket. She saw a child worthy of being saved, a being with value. The Bible says something very different about your purpose and your origin than the atheists say today. In Acts 17, 24 to 27, it says this. The Apostle Paul said this, The God who made the world and everything in it, there's the Creator, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. Do you see how different our view is from those who don't believe in God? We have a God who laid out the nations, who just determined their boundaries, and He did it in a way. He determined your neighborhood and your family and your block. Why? So that you might reach out and find Him. This is a God who gives your life meaning because He created you. This will revolutionize your understanding of your existence when you find out that you are here because God planned it. That you are here to live in line with His will so that everything that you do can serve a higher purpose. God wants you to find Him and to know His plan, to know His will for every area of your life. Have you asked Him that? Have you asked Him, why am I here? And found an explanation for your past. Have you asked Him, What is the meaning of my life? And and have you found guidance for how God wants you to be living right now? Maybe the answer is no. Maybe you've been away from God for a long time. Somebody came up to me after the first service and wanted to pray with me. And he said, I've got to be honest with you, Pastor Ryan. I've had a rocky history with churches. He said, and I walked away from God. He said, and I never thought I would talk to God again. He said, but I drove past your church last week and I decided to come this morning. And I said, I so appreciate your honesty, man. I said, you're giving God a chance to do something in your life. Maybe that's you. I don't know your story with God, but maybe you and God haven't been talking much for a long time. So maybe you're ready now and maybe you're asking, what, 
How? How do I do this? How do I know God's plan for my life and how do I follow it? Well, that's the third point. The third point is this. Jot this down. Where will I go when I die? Am I right with God? If you're right with God, he'll lead you through this life and on to eternity. We talked about God's plan for your beginning, for your middle, and now we're talking about God's plan for your end. Where, where will I go when I die? Have you asked God this question? God, am I right with you? Am I right with you? Do you know that you know that you're going to heaven or are you still living in constant fear of death and, and totally clueless as to what will happen if you were to slip into eternity today? We all live with an ongoing fear of many things. One of the things I fear is bears. Bear in my heart here being honest. I went on this mini retreat with the other pastors this week up to Michigan and we stayed at this awesome place that had a lake and a little dock. And so Pastor Jeremy said at like midnight, hey, let's all go for a late night swim in the lake. And Mark was there and, you know, I didn't want to say no and chicken out. So I was like, sure, let's go. And uh, so we got ready and then we ran out and we took three steps out. And have you ever been in darkness where you can't even see your hands in front of your face? How many of you have been in a darkness like camping or whatever where you can't even see your hand? So we ran out. Then we were like, whoa! And we paused and we could see nothing. And so our run came to like a halt and then we were just walking one step at a time because we couldn't see the lake, let alone anything. And the owner had told us that the day before they caught a bear on the security cameras on the front lawn. And it was not a small bear. It was a big bear. And I've seen the great outdoors, and I know how this story can happen. John Candy, I've seen that movie, Big Bear. And so now we're in the darkness. We can see nothing. And, and I mean, I feel like that bear was just laughing at us. I feel like we ran out, and he was just right there watching. And so now we're walking, and Pastor Jeremy's out front calling out, Bushes! Wood chips! Bold! I don't know why we let him lead, but here we are walking through the jungle, you know, step down and we finally get to the sand and then the lake and then we jump into the lake for our little swim and it's freezing cold and so we get out to this dock and we're all shivering so many stars out and I'm just like that bear is just waiting for us to come back I just knew it and and so then we swim back in and uh, we get to the shore and then we all have to like like the blind leading the blind somehow make our way back and I thought at any moment I'm going to become bear food that's it I'm done and then we got back inside, and thankfully, I was safe. So I'd like to say that I survived a bear attack. That's pretty much <laughs> what I feel happened. I cannot prove it, but I feel like that happened. <clears throat> That's a lighthearted tale of fear, but I think that there are many things that we fear in life, spiders, snakes, right? But, but death is the big one. The big one is death. And you never know when your time is going to come. There are people in this room who should have been dead long ago, and they know it. And there are people not in this room who went sooner than they thought. And you don't know. You don't know how many more days you have. Uh, where will I go when I die? Where does this point come from in the text? Well, the point is this. When you look at Moses' birth and how the princess rescued him, you see a portrait of the gospel. God used Moses' life and the life of the Israelites to act out many spiritual lessons for us. So one of the reasons God allowed this to happen to Moses is because we get a beautiful portrait of how we are saved. Uh, the truth is, Moses needed to be saved before he could fulfill God's plan for his life. And if God didn't save him, nothing of significance would happen. Nothing. And your story with God begins when God saves you, just like he saved Moses. 
Now, this way that God saved him is so interesting because it shows us how God saves you spiritually. There was a royal child who came down to the river and found a person who was dead. I mean, as good as gone. And, and this royal child of the king had to reach down and scoop up this person from death. And then she had to bring him to the palace where she had authority to advocate for him. And she had to get permission for him to be safe and secure. Then she went beyond that. It didn't just say, I'm going to give him back to his mom. She adopted him into the royal family, raised him up, taught him, grew him, and he became part of the royal household. This shows us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Follow me here. If you want to be saved, a royal child of the king, which is the son of God, had to come down and see you and take pity on you. And he had to pick you up and carry you to the father. There, he had to have the authority to lift the sentence of death that was upon you. Then he had to have the authority to adopt you into the divine family so that you could be a member of the household of God forever. This is what Jesus alone can do for you. Only Jesus can come down and save you from your sin. Only Jesus can take you to the Father and get your punishment canceled. Only Jesus can adopt you into the divine family and prepare a place in heaven, God's kingdom, for you forever. We see in Moses' story how he was saved is how you must be saved. And if you're not saved that way, then you're not saved yet. Jot this down. God has a plan for your eternity. Where will you go when you die? Where will you go when you die? God has a plan for your eternity, for your birth, for your life, and for your future forever. And that plan starts when God saves you. Many people go through this life thinking they're good with God. I think a survey once revealed that 0.05% of people think they're going to hell. 0.05% of people think they're going to hell, which means the vast majority of people who will end up in hell think they're going to heaven right now. And that could be you. That could be you. And I would hate for you to walk into a room where you think you're good with God and you think you're going to heaven and heaven forbid tonight should be, it's it. Have, tonight should be it. And off you go to eternity and you thought you were going to one place, but you're actually going to the other. How do I know? How do I know if I'm on God's plan for my future? Here's how you know. You need God's son to save you. It says in Acts 17, verse 30 to 31, the times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is this man? And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Well, now we know. Jesus is the great judge. You will one day soon, sooner than you think, sooner than you hope, sooner than you'd like, be standing before God on judgment day. And there will be two books. There will be two books that will be opened. And one of the books will be the book filled with everything that you have ever done. Records are being kept right now of your every thought, word, action. Right now, a pen is moving, and it's all getting into the book. You got to church. Great job. It's in the book. But what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with what you're listening to right now? There are pens moving, recording your life right now. And it's unabridged. And when you stand before God, 
what's in your book and what's in my book uh, will condemn you as unworthy of heaven forever. If you think what's in your book is going to get you into heaven, you're not going to heaven. The point of your book is to condemn you. That's all that's going to happen. If you think there's more good in your book than bad, you are deceived. That's a lie from hell. You think your book is going to convince God based on all the pages that you belong in heaven. You are, you are deluded and deceived. And I'd love for you to understand that your book serves as a record of your debt before a holy God. It'll take two minutes based on the things you've done and said in life to put you away for eternity. Two minutes of you wondering where you're going to go and then who knows how long it takes for the rest of the book to be read of you just having agonizing groans as you realize that because of a fair and perfect trial, you are unworthy of heaven. Please, if you hear nothing else today, hear me. If I were to ask you right now, are you going to heaven? And you were to say to me, well, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. You're going to hell. Please understand me. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. I'm going to say it again. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. If you're a good person, you will be away from the presence of the Lord forever. Your book and my book will condemn you for eternity. Well, then what hope do we have? Praise the Lord. There's one other book. All right? And it's called the book of life. Jesus has a book. And when Jesus opens his book, there's a list of names of people who have trusted in him. Is your name in that book? Because if it is, then on Judgment Day, as your sins are being read, and I'm talking all of them, the secrets you've told no one will be shouted. You will be absolutely humiliated. What hope do you have of getting into heaven? Uh, your only hope is saying, I'm with him. I'm with him. Well, well, there's all this stuff in your book. I'm with him. That's it. All right? If you want to prepare your speech for Judgment Day, you can practice it in front of the mirror. I'm with him. Only way you're getting in is if Jesus, the Son of God, walked down to the water and pulled your dead body out of it and then brought you to the Father and got you adopted into the family. If he did that for you, you're going to heaven. If you're still trying to clean up your act, it's over. God has a plan for your eternity. He has a plan to save you from spiritual peril. And he sent a man to do it for you. It's Jesus. Are you saved by Christ? Some people assume they are. Well, yeah, here's some signs that you're not saved by Christ. If, you, if I were to say, you know, what evidence do you have that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that Jesus, you, you know him and he's rescued you. If you say, well, I went to church, you know, growing up. Not enough. Well, I was baptized. My parents had me baptized and I went through some religious ed. Not enough. I was confirmed. I stood up and told people that, I nope, that's not enough. Do you know him? Has he saved you? Uh, can you give evidence that Jesus is alive in you? And because of that, you're a different person. So often I'll ask people if they think they're going to heaven and they say, yeah. And then, and then it becomes clear that this person's spouse doesn't even think they're saved. This person's kids don't even think they're saved. This person's parents don't see any evidence that Jesus is real to them, but they think they're going to heaven. All right, if your parents and your kids and your friends wouldn't say without hesitation, oh yeah, that person's a Christian, then you got a problem. Because if you haven't convinced people in your inner circle, on what basis do you think that you're really a child of God? Let's just make sure we get this 
as clear as I can share it to you. If Jesus means nothing to you, you're not going to heaven. If Jesus means everything to you, you're going to heaven. It's as clear as that. And maybe today is the day that Jesus becomes your savior. Not, not your teacher, not a pretty good person who gave you a moral example to follow. Not, no, the one who picked you up out of certain death and brought you to the Father and saved you. Man, when you realize what Jesus did for you, you worship him. The truth is this. Jesus came into the world sent by the Father. He came from heaven. He was God the Son. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. While he was on the cross, God put the punishment of all of your sins on him, which means he suffered for you in your place. He died in your place to save you. Uh, do you see why I'm a pretty good person doesn't work out? Uh, because because you're, a, you're a pretty dead person, actually. Uh, you're a pretty, you're, you're a, a pretty condemned person, is the truth. And you needed someone to die for you, to save you. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus, the Son of God, made the final payment for all of your sin. So that when you go to him, the Bible says it is by grace that you have been saved. This is the best news you've ever heard in your life. Uh, it is by grace you have been saved, which means, grace means gift. You are given a free gift. And the more you try and earn it, the less worthy of it you are. And the more you walk up and say, have mercy on me, a sinner, save me, even though I don't deserve it, then you get it. Then you get it. When you understand you will never deserve it. Your, your religious works, how much you give to a church, how good you are, will never earn it for you then you get it. Jesus rose again from the grave and he conquered death. He's alive right now. He rules in heaven. And when you ask him to be your savior, the Bible says he lives in you. You have the son of God helping you, comforting you, reassuring you. Is Jesus alive in you? Because if he is, you're going to heaven. And if he's not, this is your chance. I want to encourage you that God reaches down and calls people out of darkness every week here. There are people who are saved in our church all the time. You saw Dennis's testimony. He was in the first service. Uh, and, and you saw his testimony and how God saved him. Are you saved? Are you saved? Can you tell me the time in your past when you were saved by Christ forever? Is that foggy? Because if you're not saved, then God wants you to get saved today. But I want to encourage you that people are getting saved all the time. Uh, Hey, if you're a person in this room who got saved within the past five years, will you please stand up? If you got saved and baptized within the past five years, will you stand up, please, right now to show people that God is at work in this room? Look at this. We got young, middle-aged, old. Look around. God saved these people within the last five years. They heard something like this, and they realized they needed to repent and turn around. And then God saved them. Now, stay standing. Stay standing. Young. Look around. Men, women. All different areas of life. If you don't have a story of when God saved you, he wants to do it today. The Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We're going to pray in a moment, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what you heard today. I'm going to give you a chance to stand up. And you're not alone. There's already people who have admitted what you're saying. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I was saved when I was a freshman in college. 
knelt down beside my bed and said, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And maybe you've never done that. Uh, But we're going to close our eyes right now, and we're going to bow our heads together. And in a moment, I'm going to give you, these people are going to stay standing, so you're not alone. Uh, And you're going to have the chance to join them as someone who has been saved by a loving God. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, and let's pray right now. Father, I know there are some in this room and you're speaking to them and you're calling to them and you are reaching out to save them and they know now is the time. I pray that you would give them the courage right now, Lord, to respond, to show that they are responding to what they've heard. And I pray that as a, as a sign to you that they're listening and responding, that they would have the courage to uh, stand up right now, to stand up. No one's watching. Eyes are closed. But I pray that they would have the courage to stand up right now and say, I want what I've heard about. If that's you, if that's you, I'm giving you the invitation right now to stand up. There are even people who've who've stood up. You're not alone. If that's you, if God is calling you to be saved today, stand up right now so I can pray with you. Don't put this off another moment. Stand up right now so I can pray with you. If God has been tugging on your heart, if he has been showing you your need of a Savior, this is your chance. This is your chance. You're not alone. This is your chance to stand up and admit you need a Savior. You want God's plan for your life. This is your moment. Stand up. Thank you. People are standing. This is your chance. Nobody's watching. Even if they were, it doesn't matter. This is you and God. This is you and God. You haven't missed it. God is calling and prompting you right now, and you feel it. It's your chance to respond and to believe what you've heard. This is going in the book right now. This is your chance. You don't know how many days you have left. The time will come when God gives you your last chance, and this could be it. This could be it. What are you waiting for? Stop playing games with God. Stand up. Father, I just pray with those right now who are standing, those who are standing and have given their lives to you and who are giving their lives to you. And Lord, I just want to give them a chance to talk to you right now. And if you just stood up, I want to give you a chance to say a prayer out loud with me right now. I'm going to pray it, and I want you to pray it out loud with me. Saying this, Father in heaven, go ahead and say that. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. I commit my life to him right now. Say it and mean it. Jesus, save me. 
Come into my life. Show me your purpose. And promise me heaven forever. Oh, Father, I pray for those who are talking to you right now. Your Bible has said, never will you leave us, never will you forsake us. I pray that you would fill those who are standing and praying to you right now with reassurance from heaven that you are preparing a place for them, that you have a plan for their birth, for their life, for their eternity, and it all starts with Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, and as we all stand up right now, we say, amen.